Welcome to The Backbone, but first, a word from our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors too, so you can get paid for your podcast. Anchor is what I use to bring you The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. It connects your podcast seamlessly to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more, making your podcast available wherever your audience chooses to listen. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Welcome to The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. On The Backbone, we're obsessed with finance and operations at startups. We take a close look at finance functions within various startup companies by talking to finance leaders that are in there day in and day out. We chat startup finance, metrics, operations, and everything in between. On this episode, I sit down with Sasha Sawoya, co-founder and CFO at Litmus Automation, an end-to-end cloud platform for connecting things to enterprise applications. Sasha is in charge of financial planning and analysis, investor relations, fundraising, and various other functions within finance, as well as human resources and operations. Prior to joining Litmus Automation, Sasha spent time working in private equity for Imperial Capital as a research analyst and working as an investment analyst for a group of prominent angels in Toronto, where he assessed numerous deals on behalf of private investors. Sasha holds an undergraduate degree from Western University in Finance and a Master's of Science in Finance from the International University of Monaco. That's enough from me. Let's bring in Sasha himself, co-founder and CFO at Litmus Automation. morning, Sasha, and welcome to The Backbone. Uh, thanks for coming on the show and uh, chatting with us. So prior to co-founding Litmus, you had various roles in investment banking, asset management, and finance. Talk to me about your journey to co-founding Litmus Automation and your move into the technology space. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me this morning. Um, so it started, uh, it definitely didn't start with technology. Uh, I started as a finance guy. Um, I did my undergrad at uh, Western uh, in the BMOS program in finance, um, and then I did various summers in iBanking, asset management. I, I, I knew my my calling, I guess, would be uh, would be finance since uh, <laughs> an early age. Uh, I think my first iBanking internship was when I was like 18 and that was kind of traumatizing, wow. but um, <laughs> kind of set me for, for finance for the, for the rest of uh, what I thought would be my life. Um, and after my, uh, my undergrad, I decided to go to Monaco and do a master's in finance with a specialization in hedge funds. So, okay. <laughs> so I, yeah, finance was, was you were all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where, that's where I was going. Uh, I came back um, and then uh, found out the hard way that the job market was, was pretty tough to get into, even with a, with a, with a master's. Um, so I worked with my dad for a little bit. My dad's an angel investor here in Toronto, so I became his sort of personal analyst. I looked at about 
30, 35 deals. Um, that was awesome. Really got, gave me the bug for startups, uh, really got me interested into startups. Um, and then I, you know, I kind of got the holy grail job that I really wanted, uh, working at a private equity firm at Imperial Capital as a research analyst. Um, so the way that would work it is it would be sort of a four to five month uh, contract and then after that I would mm -hmm. review if I wanted to go full time. So, you know, I kind of thought I was there and I, <laughs> what everything I, I had worked for had finally gotten me to that position. <laughs> um, and then lo and behold, life always kind of throws you curveballs. Of course. Uh, and one of my good friends, John, who I had gone to high school with, I had gone to university with, you know, we were those guys in university that would always talk about starting a business, but never actually executed. The kind of guys that talk a lot in the dorm room, but never actually do <laughs> anything about it. Um, and he was at the time on a global entrepreneurship program uh, across the world. And he became friends with our third co-founder called Vatsal. Vatsal is okay. a typical, uh, you know, back of the room, coding all day. You don't know what he's doing. <laughs> you want to know what he's doing, but you can't understand it. Um, and John, you know, one day had, uh, got up and sort of asked him, what are you working on? Um, and Vatsal pitched him this uh, this concept at the time that he was building and John sort of understood the value of it uh, but really believed in Vatsal himself who mm -hmm. happens to be uh, extremely passionate about what he does and you know you have a five-minute conversation with the guy and you truly understand that he knows what he's talking about uh, so I get a call from John uh, John says listen I, I, there's this guy, he wants to bring me on board, he has a great idea, we need a finance guy. I'm gonna be the sales guy, we need the finance guy. Do you wanna come right. and let me pitch you this idea? So I actually flew to Europe um, on a little, tiny little Euro trip, and John brings <laughs> me in his dorm room, sits me down, Vatsal sits down, and they pitch me the idea, and we, we talk for, for hours. Um, and, you know, I, I came back and it wouldn't leave my head. Um, and I said, you know, nice. this, this this opportunity only happens once in a lifetime. So yeah. I remember going out to my dad and saying, uh, hey, you know everything I've been working for for the past six years? I think I'm just going to leave that and start a business with my buddy John and, <laughs> and his buddy Vatsal. And that's yeah. sort of how we, uh, how we got hooked, uh, hooked on the startup life and, and hooked up all, of, all together. That's awesome. That's an incredible story. So now tell me a little bit more about Litmus Automation and what it's all about and why it got you so hooked. Sure, sure. Um, so currently we're about 15 full-time employees um, at another 10 part-time slash on contract. We have an office uh, in the Valley uh, as well as in Toronto. Um, we were part of many incubators slash accelerators, Alchemist Accelerator in the Bay Area, and then in Toronto we were part of Mars, uh, Digital Media Zone, Rise and Futures, and we really started with one product at the beginning. It was uh, a middleware cloud platform for the Internet of Things. Now, to dumb this down, what that means is yes, please. <laughs> we enable uh, we enable clients to connect. Uh, machines, sensors, cars, um, whatever you can think of in terms of physical assets um, to applications that can make sense of this data. Um, so CRM systems, ERPs, <laughs> analytics, databases. So um, an example would be, um, you know, if I, if, I'm a, if I manufacture machines and I sell these machines, that used to be my business model, selling machines. Now what right. if I wanted to monitor those machines while my clients are using them and get a ping 
into my CRM when the machine is about to break down. That enables uh, me to you know sell, sell upsell an extra sort of connected service, and on top of that, it can come back, fix your machine, and charge you for it on top of that, and learn how you use your machine as a client. So uh, we bring the data from physical assets to applications that can make sense of this data. Um, and that was our original product, and this product was born from the fact that Vatsal used to work at a large industrial company, and his task was to connect an oil and gas pipeline to a database in order for mm. them to see how much that pipeline would vibrate and if they could predict when the pipeline would break down uh, in the future, uh, based on a lot of data, of course. Um, right. And so when he saw how long it took them to create that and how expensive it was to do that, he said, no way. Uh, so when he left that company, he started creating a product that would enable companies to connect that pipeline to a database, for instance, um, in the span of hours rather than months. Um, so that's oh, wow. where, the, where, the, where the business started. Um, we focus mainly on automotive and industrial. Uh, so, you know, at the beginning, we wanted to do this horizontal platform that would adapt to pretty much any segment. We learned mm -hmm. very quickly that, you know, you can't be a jack of all trades. It's better to be uh, extremely good at very sort of niche markets or specific markets. Sure. Uh, and so we learned that by, um, you know, sort of pitching to a lot of companies and understanding that. Um, why auto, why industrial, automotive, uh, our first client or one of our first clients uh, was Nissan um, yeah. in terms of really getting a large client at the beginning and that enabled us to uh, create with them a platform that was made for automakers. Uh, if you think about it, the automotive industry is plagued with a couple things, you know, cars are always moving, mm -hmm. um, security problems are always there, uh, reliability needs to be there 100%. So you need to build a platform that, that gets that data out of the car to applications uh, that needs to be extremely sturdy, extremely scalable, um, and extremely secure. So it forces sure. to build a great product. Um, and, and, and so we got we had a, that early traction uh, enabled us to, to to get the company off the ground really. Um, and then finally, after being exposed to a lot of industrial companies, we saw that we needed not just a cloud solution, we needed a local solution as well um, to be able to pull data off a bunch of different machines in a factory floor, do something with that data, understand how your machines are functioning, and then send that data to the cloud and maybe have a holistic view of all your machines across all plants around the world. Um, so that that's sort of the product, the business that, we, that we're in right now. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I can clearly see why uh, you became so hooked onto this uh, mission uh, right away. Yeah. So I want to shift gears a little bit now away from uh, Litmus and, and talk a little bit more about you. So it's not every day that you you know you find a finance guy and like you were saying you you were all in with finance uh, and then move from that to being a co-founder of an Internet of Things software platform company <laughs> like Litmus. Right? It's it's not every day that you, yeah. you see that. So what were some of the the challenges you faced? when when you were starting the company oh boy uh, a lot of challenges um, I guess <laughs> the, the first thing it's really daunting to be a first-time founder 
Um, it, it, it reminded me a lot of the job market when you're looking for jobs and every single job asks for three to five years of experience. <laughs> yes. The three to five years experience. So when you're a first time founder, it kind of feels the same way in the sense that, you know, if you approach investors, uh, what they, what they're looking for is experienced founders. Um, so, so you, you get that, you get that daunting task at the beginning of proving everybody that you're worthy. Um, I guess it's, it's, it's the dilemma of the first time founders to prove, you're always trying to prove to people that, you know, uh, you're different. You're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna fail because you're a first time founder. Um, once right. you get over that stage of, you know, having to prove every, everything to everybody, um, and you start really focusing on your business, focusing on yourself, you get over that pretty quickly. But I guess that was the first thing that sort of hit me. Um, yeah. and the second thing is, um, I guess it's hand in hand. It's just the territory of the unknown, right? Uh, and f the whole point of, I, I guess, finance is you try to control as many variables as possible, right? Um, you make assumptions, yeah. but those assumptions are based on, you know, uh, something structured. Um, mm -hmm. And you learn pretty quickly that in startups, uh, structure A doesn't exist. Uh, planning uh, is very difficult because things never go as planned. Rather, of course, you know, yes. Either good or bad, but they never go as planned. Um, and that was hard for me at the beginning to really grasp the idea that, you know, things, you, you can't predict how things are going to end up. And I like to predict mm -hmm. things. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very sort of uh, analytical you know, math-based person. So I always sure, think yeah. there needs to be a clear answer to every solution. And so right. there just isn't. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that hurt me a little bit. Uh, but, you know, you get over it. You start appreciating the unknown rather than fighting it. Um, and the, the, the last thing, I guess, would be the technology itself. Um, for me and my partner, John, you know, we understood the product, we understood uh, what it does, we understood the value. But, you know, if it's your, if it's your baby, you really yeah. want to understand the technology that goes into it. Um, right. You know, I'll never forget Vatsal, uh, you know, showing uh, one of our advisors the first time um, how the platform works. And, you know, he presses this button and this thing shows up on the Salesforce account. And for an advisor who doesn't know what's going on, he says, okay, what the heck is this? I don't understand it. And like, I had to, you know, really explain to him, do you understand how difficult it is for this machine to communicate with the CRM system in real time in less yeah. than a split second? And, you know, then he asked, why, why is it so complicated? And when I couldn't answer that question, uh, you know, it put me... At a, at a place of unease. Uh, so I had to learn a lot at the beginning. You know, it was six months of sitting Vatsal down in a room and telling him, teach me everything. Um, yeah. And then me going out and reading research reports, reading these super technical reports that at the beginning I had no idea what they meant. And now I'm at the point where, you know, I speak that lingo and I can right. see sometimes, you know, even some of my friends just look at me like I come from another planet. And it feels <laughs> good to know that I used to be that person and now you know, I'm the person who knows everything about, about, about that kind of yeah. technology. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, And yeah. if you could start all over again, what would, uh, what would you change or, or do differently uh, to going back and, and uh, founding Litmus? Well, I've, I've learned a bit of coding. Uh, <laughs> but I think the biggest thing, I get a law degree, to be honest with you. Um, just having to use lawyers all the time is a pain. I hate it. I don't like not having control over that. Uh, you know, uh, I try to do it on my own, but I still don't trust myself a hundred percent. I feel like I would more if, 
um, you know, if I had some sort of a law degree or, or something like that, I, I guess right. that's my biggest sort of uh, thing. So there you go. Learn some coding and learn some law lingo yeah. and then uh, you're set. Cool. So, you know, uh, Litmus as a company, you've raised uh, about a million and a half in seed funding to date. Um, and in October, six, in October 2016. And so uh, three years after founding the company in 2013. Um, so, you know, you've been operating for about three years, three, a little over three years and with a million and five in seed funding. Typically, companies don't wait that long to, to raise their seed round. What were the considerations you made that led to this decision? And how are you thinking about your Series A fundraising round? Um, so we got we kind of got pushed into that organically um, and then felt like it was the right thing to do. So uh, we were lucky enough to land uh, a large client at the beginning that started paying us money uh, quite early on. Um, and that enabled us to have some runway at the beginning. Now granted, sure. uh, I was still living at home on my parents' couch, My John was living at home as well, Vatsal was living at home as well, or, or in his brother's dorm, that was at the way beginning of the company. And yeah. so... Um, so so did, this, did this company start in a garage like all great companies do? <laughs> this company started on Vatsal's computer while, while being, uh, during his, his global entrepreneurship program uh, the world where he was supposed to be studying. There you go. That's a, that's an even better story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after that, it was you know I went from from working at the private equity firm to saying to my parents, hey, I, I kind of need to sleep at home for a little while. <laughs> no money coming in. Uh, but no, we we so so we started making a bit of money at the beginning. Uh, used that uh, very smartly in terms of what we wanted to spend on. You know, we were lucky enough to have a good support system that you know like parents that would support us mm -hmm. um, but we were really big about putting all the money we made back into the company and so once that started happening we noticed you know why not bootstrap as long as we can um, which kind of forced us to learn a lot of cool things in terms of you know the value of money um, actually uh, learning how to budget and following that budget or else you literally go out of business right. um, and sort of um, enabled us to create our product with full control and full autonomy because we had no outside investor really pushing us in any direction. Um, so, so I, you know, as a finance guy, I said, okay, I'm going to make it my mission to make this last as long as possible. Let's create the most value mm -hmm. that we can um, in this time and let, let's make every dime count, right? Even at the beginning, you know, we would go to conferences and we would, we would buy televisions, we would buy the stuff for the, for, for the conference, have the conference, and then we'd return it at the end of the conference. <laughs> so, I love you know, it. We found ways to make that money last as long as possible, create as much value yeah. as possible. Um, and, and that helped us in the sense that, you know, when I went to raise last year, um, I wasn't raising as an sort of immature company. I was it, I was raising more of a, as a late seed uh, company that had customers that was making money uh, right. that knew how to run their money and that already had processes uh, within that company that, that that mimicked almost you know a larger company. Um, so that mm -hmm. was cool in the sense that investors trusted us a bit more. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, when 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 you think about now that you've raised the seed and you know. I'm sure you're going to make this last a while as well. Um, what are the considerations that you're thinking about for a Series A and subsequent rounds uh, beyond that? Or are you guys at a stage where um, that's it, that's the amount that, you know, and, and you'll just see how far this goes? Sure. 
Um, so, you know, you can bootstrap once you have early traction. You can take your time once, you know, once you have a couple clients and, and, and things are a bit slow. Um, and then we got our seed round and now things are converging. Uh, mm -hmm. So we're getting a lot of partners wanting to, 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 to use our technology or resell our technology. We have a lot of clients uh, at our door right now. And, and the beauty about startups is, again, you can't plan for these things. They all sort of happen at the same time. And the problem when they happen at the same time is, um, you know, you need that cash now. So the money isn't right. about surviving anymore. The, so the money is about uh, feeding that growth, right? Yeah. So, um, so our goal, doubling down. Exactly. Doubling down. And, and, and given our market, the IoT market is so competitive and just so rapidly moving. And we're seeing mass adoption of IoT come at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. So we need to be in a position to capitalize on that growth. Um, mm -hmm. So we're looking to actually raise our, our Series A this year. Um, and that's really to sort of build that support infrastructure in order for us to be able to scale after. Um, we want to sort of, we want to make sure our current clients are extremely happy, but there are certain clients right now that are about to get signed on and I want to make sure I have the infrastructure and, and the, the, the powder to be able to support them in any, yes. way, yeah. any way we can, right? Makes a lot of sense. So last uh, question before we hop into a quick fire round. Um, in your opinion, what is the importance of the finance function at an early stage technology company? I'm biased. <laughs> of course, uh, I think it's extremely important. I see a lot of um, a lot of founders are you know, and, and granted, you know, you you need the technical founder. The technical founder is, in, in my personal opinion, one of the most important part of the startup. Mm -hmm. However, um, you want first of all the technical founder to be able to focus on his technical abilities and on the business. You don't want him to be doing cash flow statements or income statements or you know dealing with bookkeepers. Or or any of that stuff, uh, especially right. if it's not their bread and butter. It's not the time for you to learn a new skill. I think it's the time for you to sort of focus on what you do best. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the first part. Um, the second part is if you have a finance founder, and I think that happened with us, is you instill in the company from the get-go an idea of cash management and an idea of sort of following planned budgets. Um, mm. A lot of startups don't have that at the first, um, in the, before their first or second round, they don't have a finance person on the team. And what happens a lot of time is they get these big rounds, especially in the value that, you know, you get a $5 million round, you go out there, you hire a bunch of people, you don't manage that cash, and next thing you know, um, you're, you know, you're raising again, and even sometimes right. on a down round. Um, so that's pushed a lot of VCs to say, you know, I'm not going to invest until you guys have raised a certain round. And the reason they do that is to make sure you understand how to manage your cash the first time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing, really instilling that, that idea of, you know, manage your cash pro uh, properly. Um, the second thing, or the third thing is... You know, um, you need a nagging, annoying uh, <laughs> person on the team that will bother everybody about costs, that will bother, bother everybody about writing invoices. Uh, yeah. 
you know, it, it's not fun, but you know, you kind of need that person on the team that sort of brings back the reality of things certain times. Right. Uh, you know, uh, just, just, just. And goes back and returns the TVs after the conference. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Instead of just keeping that TV for later. Uh, 100%. So, so, so you kind of, it, it, it's extremely important, I think, uh, at an early stage. And, and, you know, even our, our team is, you know, you have John who focuses on sales, but it's all focuses on the technical and the and the CEO role, and then I focus on the finance stuff, and that enables us to really do what we do the best. Uh, right. Don't get me wrong; we still sort of dabble in everything. We kind of wear yeah. you know everybody's hat, but um, you know when when for instance I'm going to go fundraise. It'd be extremely difficult for Vatsal to have to go to every single VC meeting, even when they're not, you know, there's no, there's no opportunity there, and then have mm-hmm. to put the, the product on the back burner, have to put client meetings on the back burner. So having multiple people like that, especially a finance guy that can go around and do, do a lot of the legwork, I think is extremely important. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so now what I'd like to do is uh, hop into a quick fire round. So the way this works is I'll ask you a couple of questions and you'll have about 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? Sure, that sounds good. All right, let's do it. So what's your uh, go-to online resource for all things startup finance related? Um, <laughs> I kind of learn on my own, learn learn as I go. <laughs> but I use, uh, I don't know, I use Crunchbase a lot uh, for comparisons to other companies. Uh, I look at CB Insights to find some investors. But in terms of accounting stuff and finance stuff, it's all about Googling everything. <laughs> nice. So Google is the best resource. Google is the best resource. <laughs> what, what's your favorite productivity hack? Productivity hack. Uh, I do lists for everything. Task lists. I color mm-hmm. code all my task lists. So uh, I spend a lot of time. I, I get in in the morning pretty early and I, I make my task lists uh, and post-it notes are everywhere on my desk. <laughs> Got it. So you're, you're old school and do it post-it notes or do you use some sort of software to nope. do it as well? I like, I like it in writing. Uh, there, there's, yeah. there's something there's a there's something to be said about a highlighting a certain task in a certain color and knowing that it's done. Uh, and yes. just writing these tasks out kind of ingrained them in my memory. I used to do it online on, on a computer and use stuff like Asana or Post-it yeah. notes on my desktop. And you know what? We're on my I'm on my computer all day. I'd like to have something written it for once. Makes sense. There is just that that uh, sense of satisfaction yeah. of crossing something exactly. off. Um, I'm guilty of this too. Like sometimes I'll just I'll just finish something, but it wasn't on my to do list. It oh, should have been. Exactly. So I'll just write it in and yeah. cross it off. No, I, I I actually do that too. At the end of the day, sometimes I the <laughs> tasks I did on top of it, and I just rewrite them just to make myself feel like you know yeah. accomplishment one on one. Exactly, it's a sense of accomplishment. All right, last one. One thing you don't leave the office before finishing. Um. Well, I, I make my task list for the next day. I clean my yeah. desk uh, <laughs> religiously every night because I cannot come back to a, to a messy desk. Um, and does your desk get messy with all the post-it notes everywhere? Yeah, it does. But yeah. then I, I sort of recycle the post-it notes, so I I, I I restart post-it notes with the ones that without the ones that I crossed out. So okay. within post-it notes, there's many tasks, and each post-it notes of different color uh, are assigned to how urgent the tasks are. Yeah, <laughs> you, you'll you'll have to send me a picture of of your desk uh, so we can post it along with yeah. the episode. <laughs> For <Show> sure, <laughs> definitely. definitely. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Sasha. It's been a pleasure uh, chatting with you, learning a little bit more about Litmus and founding a company from uh, a finance background, as well as uh, your perspectives on bootstrapping. Thanks again. Well, thank you so much for having me this morning.